Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Joel, if you will. We'll read a few scriptures tonight and then uh, have a word of prayer and then get right into our study of the book of Joel. Now what I've been doing is I have been doing an overview of the books of the Bible. Obviously, you can't take one night and cover a book in depth. So what we've been doing is we've been giving an overview and then drawing some practical lessons, some practical points for us out of that book. And so we took the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right down the line, and we've taken one night for every book that we've studied thus far. We're all the way to Joel, and I'm going to be real honest with you, Joel was a wow. I mean, it, 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 look, it was easier putting Genesis in one night than it has been putting Joel in one night. And it was, it's just, there's just so much, three chapters in this book and it is absolutely profound when you realize um, the prophetic significance of it because so many of our books people look at Revelation and hang it out on its own and it just dangles there and and you can come up with a lot of really off-the-wall interpretations of Revelation and what it's for uh, unless you make the connection between Revelation and um, uh, the other books in the Bible. And so it's, it's, really, uh, it's really important to realize that, that when you study Revelation, there's connections back to Ezekiel, in particular Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and uh, Hosea and Joel. And all of these things point toward the, the, the end times of the book of Revelation. And so let's just do this. Let's start reading in verse 1. And we'll read a handful of, of verses and then we'll, we'll uh, have a word of prayer and get right into our study. All right, verse 1, Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Now, we don't know anything else really about him except who his dad was, okay? Uh, Hear this, ye old men, and give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. That when the palmer worm hath left, uh, uh, hath the what the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake ye drunkards, and weep, and howl, all ye drinkers of wine. Because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation is come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath uh, the cheek teeth of a great lion. He hath laid my vine waste, and barked my fig tree. He hath made it clean bare, and cast it away. The branches thereof are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off uh, from the house, uh, uh, the house of the Lord. The priest, the Lord's ministers mourn. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, O howl, O ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley. Because the harvest of the field is perished, the vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, and the palm tree also, and the apple tree 
Even all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How ye ministers of the altar lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offerings and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you give us uh, in these moments we spend in your word what we have need of and I pray, uh, dear God, that you would just speak to each and every heart and apply your word. Uh, dear God, is, is each one of us needed? Teach us and instruct us and convict us, Lord, in the areas where we need it. And we'll thank you and give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Now, when you get into the book of Joel, one of the things that is a bit different from some of the other prophets that you're going to read about in the Old Testament is... Uh, that no, there are no certain specifics given about the time frame in which this book is written. Okay, so you're not going to find you're not going to find a lot of um, you're not going to find a lot of landmarks, so to speak, whereby you can particularly place the book of Joel in in a time frame in Israel's history. There is no king mentioned in this uh, book, and so a lot of times you determine who the king was, then you can determine. Uh, where the prophet was and, and the time in which the book uh, was written. Now, because no king is mentioned, people sometimes feel like, well, maybe this was written um, uh, upon the return of the captivity. And, and after they got back and began to reestablish the, the, um, uh, the land and, and the temple worship and, and rebuild the walls with Nehemiah and things like that, maybe, maybe that's the time frame in which it was built. There, there are a couple of things... Um, uh, here that, that, that might lend uh, another idea. And that is that in the book, and we'll show you those in just a second, but in the book, uh, there's, a, there's a number of places that mention the priest and they mention uh, temple practices. And it seems that there's a great familiarity in this book uh, with the temple being the center of worship in Jerusalem. Look with me in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholding from the house of your God. Sanctify a fast, call an assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land uh, into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Okay, so, so there, that's some pretty specific scripture dealing with God's house, the altar, the offerings, and the priest. Notice in chapter 2, verse 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. So there again, we have two offerings that are mentioned to God. Chapter 2, verse 17. Let, pre, let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And so here we have the porch, we have the altar. So there's a lot of specific things that are, that are being mentioned here. Now it's significant to note, um, it's significant to note that um, after the captivity, uh, it took 20 years for the temple to be consecrated. So it's not like they walked back from, from the captivity and boom, there's a, there's a beautiful temple. I mean, they had to rebuild the walls. We know that, that uh, uh, Ezra came in 
uh, Zerubbabel's temple. We know, we know how all that took place and Ezra's reestablishing temple practices. Nehemiah's rebuilding the wall. Uh, Ezra's re restoring the temple practices. And so um, it took 20 years for all that to happen. There was a beginning of it, then it faded a bit, and, and, and then God came back and, and moved the people and they continued to build. Remember, that's where God said, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Okay, people were discouraging them. You'll never get this done. You're not going to get this done. Because it was a pile of rubble, and so because of the rubble, you'll never worship in this place again. And God said, no, 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 don't listen to them. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit. I can do what I want to do right where I want it, when I want it done, okay? So that, that's, that was the, the setting of that. Now, so, so probably this isn't during that time frame, all right? So when, when was it? There is no mention of a king here whatsoever. Remember that Judah's only ruling queen, Athaliah, she was murdered in 835 B.C. She murdered all of her grandsons, and only Joash, only Joash was able uh, to survive. He, he was hidden by his aunt uh, Je uh, Jehosheba, and so he, she hid him, and uh, that's a great aunt, isn't it? And so she hid him, and uh, uh, Jehoiada the priest helped oversee uh, his upbringing. Seven years later, seven years later, he was declared king. Athaliah was slain. But because Joash was so young, Jehoiada sort of assumed uh, uh, the responsibilities of helping him and overseeing, overseeing the kingdom. So, if Joel prophesied during that time, then it would be understandable that no king was being mentioned because maybe it was when Athaliah was on the throne or maybe it was when Jehoiada was actually running the, the kingdom and, uh, uh, and, and Joash was, was not seated uh, uh, in the palace. And so that's a possibility. If that's true, then Joel was a contemporary of, of uh, Elisha. And so it's, it's interesting. Now, let's get right into what we're doing. In this book... In this book, what is happening is um, Joel is drawing some lessons from a natural disaster, okay? So what, what, we, what we read about when we get right into this book, we read about the fact that there has been what the people of the Middle East call an invasion of the army of God. Okay, that's the phrase that has been used down through centuries, the army of God. What are they talking about? They're talking about an invasion of of locusts. And so what he does here is he draws from a very familiar passage of Scripture, a very familiar uh, event, uh, and, and, and draws a picture from that uh, for the people to warn them of a coming disaster that's on the road. Now look with, me, look with me in verse number four. Let's just jump there real quick. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, and that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten, and that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. And so there's a, uh, one of the terrifying things uh, in a culture that was based on agriculture is when there would be an invasion or what would be called a plague of locusts. The numbers would... Uh, the locusts would number in the billions, and, and uh, sometimes they would cover an area up to 10 miles 
deep and, and uh, five miles wide. They've been known to fly 17 hours straight. And sometimes their devastation has covered uh, a span of 1,500 miles. And so, you know, writings in people's journals from way back in the day have been that they're so thick that they block the sun out. They darken the sun. And even in the, even in the United States, there's been times when that has certainly been the case. And, and, and our history books are, are filled with that. So, so here's what he's doing. Okay, I want you to get this, because when you read this, what he's doing is he's taking a disaster that is real right around them. They're being devastated by an invasion of locusts, and he's drawing from that spiritual and prophetic truths that's going to point to an invasion much later. The, 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 the at-hand army right now that they're dealing with are locusts, okay? But he's going to draw a picture of the end times when another army is going to invade Israel and is going to literally surround them and overtake them just like these locusts have done. And so this is, this is, this is I'm going to shock some of you with some age on you, uh, and others are going to stare at me. This is, this is better than flannel graph. Can you believe that? I mean, really, how many of you have ever been in a class where they taught flannel graph? Okay, sure. All right, this is better than a PowerPoint, okay? This is better than multimedia. They're living in this right now, and Joel comes along and says, hey, I got a lesson for you. I want you to look around you. I want you to see what's happening in our society, and I want to I use that to paint a picture for you of what's going to come in the future. Now, let's, let's do that, okay? So let's just get your Bible, open your Bible, hope you got it, let's look at something. First of all, first of all, the picture is a graphic one. He says this, the crops are devastated. Look with me in verse 10. Um, uh, in, so, uh, all right, so verse 10, the field is wasted. The land mourns, the corn's wasted, the new wine's dried up, the oil languisheth, okay, the vine dresses, the wheat, the barley. Look at the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, verse 12, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree, the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered because joy is withered away from the sons of men. So he's saying, he's pointing out to them right in front of their eyes, this is what's happening. I want you to, I want you to look at it. Not only that, but verse number 18, uh, the beast of burden uh, are starving. How do the beast groan? Verse 18, the herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. He then talks about how the land is parched. Verse 20, the beast of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up. There's a drought, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of, of wilderness. Um, this is, you want to see something powerful? Look in, look in chapter 2, verse 3. Watch this. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing shall escape them. That's, think about that. Here is, here, this is a fertile land. This is an incredible fertile land. But when this horde moves through, it goes from Eden to a wilderness. And so that's the picture that he is, uh, he's painting uh, in their mind. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of fire? I'm talking about, I'm talking about a sure enough fire where it's raging and roaring through a forest. It's like a, it's like a freight train. When it starts burning, uh, when it starts burning, and I'm going back to Georgia now, so you have to forgive me for that. 
uh, and I know you can get out and find some, some of that, but I, you know, the trees are so thick in Georgia, when it catches on fire, it's like, a, it's like a freight train. You can just hear it as it rages through. And so he says there uh, in verse number 5, Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, uh, as a strong people set in their battle array. And so he's saying this is, you know, this is just, it's, it's just, it's raging. It's like, a, it's like an army that goes to battle. Look in verse number 6. Um, before their face the people shall be much pained and all faces shall gather blackness. They're just stunned as they, as they stare at what's happening around them. Verse number 9, uh, they shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses and they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. Okay, okay remember the picture is locusts to start with. That's what they're seeing. And so everywhere they go, there's locusts. They're getting in the windows. They're climbing in the sills, you know. They're, they're weaseling their way in. You remember the story of the frogs in Egypt? <laughs> and how, how that uh, Pharaoh was asked, you know, when do you want the frogs to stop? And he said, on tomorrow. And I, and I think the guy's name was Tommy Stone that wrote a song called One More Night with the Stinking Frogs. I mean, can you imagine? They were in the kneading dough. Can you imagine getting up and walking around the house? I mean, everywhere you turn, there were frogs. And he said, I'd like to spend one more night with the frogs. That's one of the most, I don't know, that's, that's a head scratcher. That's a head scratcher. Notice, notice verse number 10. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. These people had experienced that with these hordes of locusts that were pouring over the countryside and now, and now after giving that graphic picture, what's going to happen is Joel is going to say, Now, take this picture, keep it in your mind, remember the locusts everywhere, remember, remember them all over the city, remember them getting in your house, remember the sound as they, as they swept across our countryside and devoured our crops. Remember, remember how it was before, and then remember how it was behind. Remember the devastation. Remember the smell. Remember all of that. That is the picture I want you in your mind as I begin to tell you about what's coming in the future. Now, watch this. Verse number, um, verse number 15. Look at verse number 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now, with, with, the, with the nightmarish scene that he has just painted to them, okay, with the horrible scene he has just painted to them, now he sort of shifts gears because he's going to, I mean, he's going to work us all the way through. But, but, when, when, but when, you get to, when you get to verse 15, you know he's not just talking about now. Things are beginning to unfold a little bit. He's not just talking about now the literal physical plague, it indicates that there's more to his declaration than just locusts. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want to just give you some things to help. Now, let me, let me say this. Look at me. If you want to break a friendship and get in a real argument, then get into eschatology. <laughs> okay, you didn't like that. But anyhow, I, look, listen, people, look, people are so dogmatic. I mean, it's like, I know exactly. No, you don't. 
And, and, and can we just be honest? That there, that there are some things that good men differ on. And there are certain, there are certain divisions and lines of when things are going to happen that, that, that great guys are divided on. So if you think you've got the Bible all figured out, you probably don't need to read it anymore. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't. And every time I read it, it's fresh and new. And it's the amazing thing that a book that you've been reading your whole life, you can read something and say, well, I'll be. You have a Gomer Pyle moment, shazam. I've never seen that. You know, there's, there's no other book in the world like that. And, and, and I've read some great books and some great biographies, and I have my favorite authors. But you know what? I can read a book once or twice, and I'm pretty good with it. But that's not true with this book. It draws you back every day, and you're, you're hungry for it. And, and, and it, it is, it's, the, it's a living book. It's the Word of God. So I want to give you some, I want to give you some names and give you a brief definition that will help you in your study of the Bible. Because we're talking about the day of the Lord. Okay? First of all, let me talk with you about the day of Christ. Okay, The day of Christ. Now, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. The day of Christ. Okay, The day of Christ refers to the time when Jesus Christ shall come and rapture His people out of the world. That was promised, was it not? In Acts chapter number 1, this same Jesus, which you've seen go up, he will come again, and uh, as you've seen him go in like manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may blameless be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? What day is that? That's the day when he comes back for his own people, all right? Philippians chapter 1, go to Philippians. I want you to see these now, so use your Bible. Don't be nervous about doing that. Nobody will accuse you of being spiritual. So, <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. All right, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Well, how long is he going to perform it? Watch this. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Because, because then we're going to be with him. So, the work he began in me, I was 12 years old when I got saved. He's been working in me ever since. And you know, you, you know what the beautiful thing is? He's going to continue that work through all of my failures, my flaws, my stumbles. Every, listen, every time that I have disappointed him, you know what? He doesn't set the work aside. Sometimes the work changes and, and uh, you know, uh, sometimes God uh, sort of remakes us like Jeremiah chapter 18. He, he remakes the vessel and, and I know that, but... But the reality of the matter is simply this. He's got a work he's doing in me, and he's going to do it until the day of Jesus Christ. One other verse, verse 10, Philippians 1, same, same chapter, verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay? So here's what I'm doing. Listen to me. I want to live for Jesus until he comes and takes me out of here. Okay? That's what the day of Christ is. He's coming back for me. Boom. He's going to rapture me. I'm going to go spend eternity in heaven. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be seafood. Okay, just straight seafood. A few cathead biscuits, but anyhow, Georgia cane syrup. But anyhow, I'm just saying it's going to be a great day. That's the day of Christ. Now, second, the second phrase I want you to get is the day of the Lord. Okay, now we're in Joel. Go back to the book of Joel and let's look at that. The day of the Lord refers to God's direct intervention 
into the affairs uh, of mankind. Now, this is significant, okay? Everybody with me? This is significant. Though. If you miss this, you get way off, all right? The significant thing when the day of the Lord is used is the fact that it is used in reference to the people of Judah, okay? See, we, we get the idea, we get the idea that, that it's, you know, it's, it, that it's America. No, America's in it. He, he's intervening in the affairs of man. And so the whole world's going to be impacted by the rapture, and the whole world's going to be impacted by end times things. But never forget this, and that is that, that, that the center focal point, the timepiece, the hourglass is Israel. You want to find out what God's doing in prophecy? It's in Israel. I remember years ago when they put the scanners on. You remember that? They put the scanners on the stuff and you walk by, it was beep, and it was like the Antichrist. He's here. You know, I mean, can you imagine that? No, I, and, and look, look, that all works in. It does. It really does. The, we can see things unfolding. I've said this to people so many times. In, in, in March of 2020, we watched the beginning of a dress rehearsal for the Antichrist. There's no doubt about that. I mean, questions that we had to begin with, like how, how are they going to make everybody get how are they going to make everybody get the mark of the beast? Well, all you got to do is say you can't get toilet paper at Costco. Okay? I mean, I saw that with my very eyes. I mean, man alive, they'll fight you to the end. All right? So, so it's very clear. Hey, look, what's going to be in the end time? Read the book of Revelation. Pestilences. Okay? All they got to do is declare pestilence. And the CDC will say, you got this, you got to have this, and you got to get a vaccine, and all that. And, and I'm just saying, it just, it, it, it disrupted our world. It really did. All right, now, look with me in, in Joel chapter 1. Alas for the devil.
heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the element shall melt with fervent heat. So there's going to be a time when all of this is going to be purged, okay? Every bit of it. Because, because the, very, the very world that we live in right now groans for its redemption. Okay, it groans. I mean, we've got a sin-soaked, sin-cursed world. And uh, man, has, man, has, man has polluted and man has uh, mishandled so many things in our world today that God has given us and we've, uh, we've, we've messed it up. And so um, God's going God's to start it all over again. He's going to purge it. He's going to cleanse it. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine when God remakes the earth? Can you imagine what it must have looked like before man had a hold of it? Okay. Now I was born in '55. This is significant, by the way. I was born in 1955, and in 1956, the age ex uh, expectancy grew by like—I'm serious—like 15 years. I, don't, I just want to say that. Anyhow, so I was born in '55. You know what? Man had had a long time to mess the world up, hadn't he? Now, let me help you with this, okay? He has not had billions of years, okay? We're talking about thousands of years and about 6,000 years. I love going down somewhere in the center, you know, where they, they, they have, uh, you know, um, the caverns. You go in the cavern and they're telling you about this stalagmite that took 7 billion years to form and all the ridiculous stuff. That's not the truth at all, but man had long enough to mess the world up. He really did. And we know about the flood, and, and, and that's, that's interesting in and of itself. Okay? So, now, the, the, then there is the time of Jacob's trouble. All right? Let me just throw that out to you. That refers specifically to Israel in the seven-year tribulation period. Let me, let me give you the scripture for that. Jeremiah 37, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it. Now, folks, look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. God's not through with Israel. It's the day of Jacob's trouble. So what's God going to do? He's going to save him out of it. And then what's God going to do? He's going to set up a millennial kingdom to fulfill his promise to the nation of Israel. Okay? So we, we, got, we got to get that down. We, 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 we have to, things are so bad in the churches today. Jesus must be coming back. Okay, I understand that. You know, I, I understand that's true, but I'm just simply saying, don't, don't think that, that the economy of God is all wrapped up in, in America, okay? Don't Americanize your Bible, okay? God's dealing with the nation of Israel, and He's going to fulfill His promise. Just read the book of Joel. He's going to restore to them the things that they lost. That's God's promise to Israel, okay? Now, then there is the great day of of God Almighty. Revelation 16, verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So the great day of God Almighty is when God, when God uh, at, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of Megiddo, where the battle of Armageddon takes place. Now, there are 109 prophecies that speak of the first coming of Christ. 109, there are 224 that speak of His second coming. Okay? And so there's more said about the second coming of Jesus than, than was said about His first coming and His birth there uh, in Bethlehem. 
So, so what he does is he takes this, he, he takes this plague of locusts, and basically what he says is this. You ain't seen nothing yet. Do, do, you see, do you see the devastation all around you? Well, you haven't seen anything yet. There's going to come an invasion the likes of which has never been seen. It's just a symbolic picture of a greater invasion coming in the future when Israel would be invaded not by locusts but by literal armies that were bent on their destruction. Okay, Look with me. Um, Chapter 2, verse 11. All right, so now he's going to, the scene's going to shift a little bit, okay? The scene's going to shift a little bit. Now watch this. And the Lord shall utter his voice before what? His army. Okay, now don't, don't let that phrase escape you. The Lord now shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is great, and he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and terrible, and who can abide it? So this, is, this, this, this verse is prophetically pointing toward, okay, so we got all the locusts, we got climbing in windows and everything, and he's making that illustration. This is what's going to happen in the future with a literal army. And now he's simply saying this, yeah, but God's got an army. Okay. And the conflict between those nations and those armies that find their way to the valley of Jehoshaphat, I'm going to just tell you something, they're going to meet up with a force uh, the likes of with which they do not believe and never could imagine. But God Almighty, the Lord is coming down and, and, uh, with His army. Look with me in chapter 2. Um, go with me to chapter 2 again. And uh, let's look in verse uh, 12. All right, so let's just take a moment. Look, look at this. So, therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn Ye even to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindred, and repenteth him of the evil. Now, so what he's doing here is he is making a, he's making a plea uh, to the nation of Israel, and he's, he's begging them that they would uh, that, that they would turn. He's, he's saying to them, look, listen, what you've seen around you foreshadows what's happening. And so he's drawing upon them now. Is this, what, is this what you want? He's pleading with his people to repent and to turn because God, even the, look, we'll see this in just a moment, but even the locusts that have invaded them at the present time is, 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 is a, uh, it's a correcting act of God to try to turn them. And so he's, 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 he's talking about these locusts and all, and now showing the prophetic side of it, and he's saying to them, well, why don't you just turn? Why don't you just turn? You know what repentance is? It's turning. It's not a works by salvation. You don't, you know, if, if you do this, you, you can be saved. No, no. It's a, it's a heart. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a change of, look at it. It's a change of heart. Look at verse 13. Rend your heart. That's inside. Watch this. And not your garments. That's outside. What God is saying here, no, 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 it's not an act. It's not an act. So what the, what, what the Jews would do, what the Jews would do is, is when, when there was something that, that uh, they were overly emotionally, passionately 
sad about or repentant of, they would rend their clothes. So just, just, they'd tear their garment and sit down and put, put on sackcloth and, and pour ashes over their head. Now it was an outward show. God said, no, 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 that's not what I want. I, 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 don't want a, I don't want an act. I don't want you going through the motions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, instead of rending your clothes, I want you to rend your heart because the heart is where the problem's at. Don't, 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 don't put on an act for me. Let's don't play church now. I want, I want the change in you to be on the inside. And, and, and he says God's merciful and, and, and slow to anger and of great kindness, okay? And, and so he's pleading with them now. After painting, after painting this horrendous picture for them, now he's pleading with them. You know the thing that amazes me as a pastor is how I can watch people go through so many things and I'm like, dude, what do you got to, what exactly is it that God's got to show you? Really? I mean, you, you went through that and, 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 and you're not ready to get things right with God? I mean, you're, you're that hard-headed, stiff-necked? I mean, you're, you're still going to barge ahead? Isn't it amazing how God, in His loving kindness and mercy, deals with people and tries to get them to a place to where they realize that they're going in the wrong direction, and yet men continue to just go straight ahead in their own, their own sinfulness. Now, what he does next is he, he, gives them, he gives them a promise of restoration, okay? If, if you can't see the loving, merciful hand of God in his dealing with the nation of Israel, I don't know what Bible you're reading. Because over and over, over and over, they're just stubborn. And you know what God says to them? Okay, I'm, I'm going to deal with you. And you know what he says then? When I finish dealing with you, when I finish dealing with you, um, I'll restore you. I mean, even at the end of all of it. You know, last week we studied Hosea. Do you know what the last chapter of Hosea is after all that they went through with Gomer and the picture of Gomer and Hosea and God and Israel? You know what the last chapter of Hosea was? I love you. I'll love you. I'll forgive you. I'll take you back. And that's exactly what you find. That's exactly what you find in, in, uh, uh, in Joel. Look with me, chapter 2. Look with me, um, uh, look with me in verse number um, well, 18. Then, the Lord, then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity. And do what? Pity? You're going to pity these people? Yeah, I'm going to pity these people. The Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied wherewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. Jump with me to verse 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, and the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, uh, my great army that I sent among you. Isn't that a powerful? I love the phrase there, my great army. Wait a minute, whose army was the locust? They were God's army. Who ordered the canker worm and the palmer worm? And the caterpillar, God. So what does that mean? It means this. God loves you enough that God will bring pain into your life to turn you. Because in the turning, He saves you from so much heartache. I had a guy one time talk with me and he said, I, I, I can't even remember the, all the details of it. 
but something had happened on his job and he got caught and he was in deep trouble on his job and I sat down with him to try to help him and counsel him. And I said, boy, thank God for his compliment. And I said, he said, what do you mean a compliment? I said, he stopped you. He stepped in. He stopped you. He exposed you. Why would he expose you? Only because he loves you so much that he didn't want you to continue in the same direction that you were going in. So when God steps in and puts a stop uh, and, and he does so to turn you, to get you back on track so that he can once again bless you. So here's the nation of Israel in rebellion to God. And God said, okay, he's sending locusts, canker worms. Their crops are devastated. It's darkening the sky. And God said, that's my army. That's my army. I want to tell you something. Listen. Listen to me. True repentance is when we get to the place to where we are willing to accept the consequences that God sends to us. When we get to a place to where we're willing to tip our hat and say, okay, all right, I all right I'll take this. See, see, what we do is, is we, make, we, make, we make horrible and sinful decisions and then we fight God over it. No, no, it's not God's fault. And when God allows consequences and even when God allows chastisement in our life, the, the, the humility, the mark of humility is when we're willing to bow humbly before God and say, okay, thank you. I was, um, I was called to preach and, uh, and I was running from God, man. I was on the move. I, was, I did not want to do that. Had I not done it, then Mahomes would not have been the champion this year. I would have gotten the trophy. I had my dreams like every other kid. And God called me to preach. Son, that's the last thing in the world I want to do. I'm running from God. I'm playing my second year of basketball back in Savannah, uh, second season in a row. I'm just, I'm just, everything sports for me. Everything sports. Six years old up, everything sports. Eating it up, loving every bit of it. Got my own plans for my life. And on Highway 80 between Savannah and Tybee Island, the rear end in my car locked up and I found myself going in circles, winding up out in the marsh grass, knowing that I could have went end over end and died and yet I landed right side up and I sat in that car with steam poured out from underneath it and I said, okay, okay. Now that wasn't God hating me, that was God sending his army, so to speak. That was God saying, Dean, you don't know what you're, what you're missing. And if you do what you're gonna do, you're going to deprive Susie of the blessing of being married to you. For 47 years. So, thank you so much. No, I mean, I mean, listen, can you imagine my life? I can't. Being here, what God's, how God's blessed me. I want to tell you, I, I love what I do. I love where I'm at. I love God's plan for my life. God was saying, I know better than you. And that's exactly what he did with these, with, with these people, my great army. God used pain to get them back on track. And, and by the way, listen to me, you can get bitter or get better. you got a free will. We're not, we're not, 
we're not robots. We, you can do what you want to do. If you want to rebel against God, help yourself. But, but the reality of the matter is God will try to turn you. He'll give you, he'll give you uh, events in your life that will turn you if you'll let Him do that. Now, go, let's go to chapter 3. All right, we've got a few minutes left. Go to chapter 3, and, and, and here's what we'll do. Let's, let's um, read the whole of chapter 3 when you get a chance. Just read the whole thing. Because it all deals with the same thing, basically. Verse number 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about thither, Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Uh, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Now right there you can just, you can just look at Revelation chapter 19. In fact, go ahead and look there. Revelation chapter 19. Alright, because that's where we're at. We're, we're, we're in... We're in, uh, we're in Armageddon. Uh, Revelation 16, verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. All right, so let's read that. All right, let's read what um, uh, chapter 3 of Joel is talking about. Chapter 19, verse number 11. And I saw, I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that, he may, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of, of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his array. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, in which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive 
into the uh, lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. I'll tell you something. Listen to me. He's trying to get these people to realize there's more to what's happening in your world right now. There's, there's, more, there's more that's going on. I've stood, and we'll be standing again in a couple of weeks at, uh, in Megiddo, overlooking that valley, 187 miles long, and blood's going to flow five and a half feet deep from one end to the other. And stretch down to a place called Petra probably, and that's where the remnant of the Jews are going to be held up. And the armies of the world will gather. They will come to obliterate, to obliterate uh, the Jewish people, and Jesus will come back on a white horse. And when He does, I believe that their anger and attention will be turned toward Him. They may be religious, but they hate the Lord. And He's going to destroy them with the word of His mouth the sword that comes out of his mouth. I don't know what he's going to say. He may just quote scripture. He may just say, drop dead. But whatever he does, I'm going to tell you something. There, the, the valley will be filled with their blood and the, the world will know that he is indeed Lord and he is, he is king. And so he's writing to these people and he's giving them a glimpse of what's happening in the future. Now where we are, we can, we can connect um, we can connect Revelation 19 and we see how it all blends together. 1854, there was an 18-year-old girl by the name of Annie Walker. She read a verse of Scripture in John chapter 9, verse number 4. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And she went home and got a piece of paper out and she wrote these words. Work for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling, work mid-springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter, work in the glowing sun, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. The reality of the matter is if you know your Bible, you know there's going to be a day when the party's going to end. Okay, It's going to end. It's not going to last forever. And we may, feel like, we may feel like we've got plenty of time, but we don't know how much time we've got. We've got loved ones that are lost. And look, I'm, I'm going to be in glory. And I'll be coming back on a white horse. Amen. He might let me ride my motorcycle. I don't know. It's an iron horse. I don't know that I can prove that. But anyhow, I, look, listen. The reality of the matter, I'm going to have a different perspective from some people. But I don't want my neighbors going. I don't want my loved ones. I don't want the guys that I work with. I want to tell them about Jesus. Work while we have the time. The end times, listen to me, the end times ought not scare you. You ought not lay awake at night worried about the end times. Are you born again? You haven't been saved? If you're saved, if you're not, you, you better be worried. But if you've been saved, what are you worried about? I'm not worried. doesn't bother me in the least bit. In fact, it excites me, to be honest with you, okay? But what the end times should do is it should make us concerned for our loved ones and our family and our friends and the horrors that the people of Judah just got a taste of in Joel's day. So let's be busy. Let's be active in our witness to others. A Sunday on our table out back, we're going to have 
we have a, an array of tracks for you to get, and I want you to get those and use them and give them out. We've got different cards and things. We've got our heart cards, and we'll talk about it a little bit Sunday. But, but be active. Weather's warming up some now, and so we'll be able to get out, do some door knocking, and get around a little better. But, 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 but do that. Make that a part of your life. Be, be aware of the fact that everybody you see is going to spend an eternity someplace, every single person. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, dear God, that you're in control. And there's nothing in this world that takes you by surprise. Nothing ever even occurs to you. You know it and you knew it. And God, you've never lost the handle. We thank you for that. I pray now that you would uh, bless our, our work, our our efforts in telling others about Jesus and help us more to be more soul conscious than we've ever been. And we'll thank you for all that you do. Give us a great day on Sunday, we pray now in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.